0: Good afternoon to all of you. Welcome to the... Th- uh, no, this is the fourth presentation of the semin- seminar. We have had a good time so far. And today we are going to talk about the Christian journey from division to unity. Basically, we have been dealing with the issue of the unity of the church. I began sharing with you my experience from my childhood, so very, very much into the middle of the last century, basically, so I have been a long time this is my time for me to write history directly as a witness, but uh, my share was that I experienced a un- unity on the church, real unity on the church, everybody thinking in the same way, everybody preaching the same thing. I mean, when I say everybody, my father, uh, no, my father was not an Adventist, but my mother, the pastor of my church, the visiting pastor, the youth pastor, the president of the association, when somebody came from the States, everybody was on the same page. The professors, the academy professors, professors at the college, everybody... uh, Clearly, they didn't actually said exactly the same words, but they believed the same things. As the time passed in my experience, as you can see in my first presentation, I began to discover things that did not fit. This person says another thing, contradicts with this thing, and then they do this and the other, and... Finally, at the end of my experience, which is today, I am convinced that our church is not in the state of unity, but in a state of disunity. And the disunity that exists in our church kind of mirrors the disunity that exists in Christianity. And it's not a lack of unity like, well, I like to have a carpet uh, that is brown and you want a gray carpet. It's not that kind of simple thing. Or so I interpret this text in this way or the other way. The divisions that we have in our church are ground sy- systemic Divisions at the level of the teaching of the church which has to do with our understanding of Christianity and the Bible. These are very much profound. And what I see is that everybody in our church, including all the leaders, they kind of think that everybody is on the same page, or at least it is assumed. Within reality, that is not the case. Then after doing that, I... Uh, uh, or, or we all together in the second presentation went through a history of Adventism since the beginning of Adventism, and we saw that they had, when they began, the pioneers, a great unity. They actually had the disappointment. After the disappointment, they went to study the Bible. They came to understand not only the disappointment and the cause of the disappointment, but they discovered a complete and coherent system of theology that propelled them into the mission to share it to the entire world and for that reason this church was grounded with the passing of time in 1888 Ellen G White showed that this kind of discovery and the principles of that system that the pioneers called the principles or the um, what were the pillars the pillars of the church, have been forgotten, and throughout the passing of time, that system, the pillars, were replaced by others, particularly the issue of justification by faith. And at the end of our history, not even those things are rejected by the very much, uh, but it is also the issue of uh, the sola scriptura principle that is rejected. And so tradition has come to our church, and you have different kinds of Adventisms or systems of Adventism, which would be the biblical Adventism, those that more or less uh, do exegesis and preach from the Bible, you see, Then there are the other ones that are the evangelical Adventists that basically they preach justification by faith, and that's the principle of everything, and salvation has been granted, and you are saved, and you are going to heaven, and you don't need actually to study the Bible and all those things, so let's have some celebration here, a little bit of fun, music, popular music. All these things coming in, into that. And then there are the others, which they are called the progressives. The progressives are those that do not actually believe that the Bible is true. They believe in evolution, and they believe that we have to merge everything that is Christian with the contemporary, uh, postmodern culture, basically. And then there are others that are called the historical Adventists that, uh, that just built on L. N. G. White and have developed a little system there that I am not going to enter into that. Then yesterday we went to the issue of what is that caused these issues? Why are these things happening in our church? Well, they are happening in our church because we don't study the Bible. That's it. There is no other reason. We just go, we go, we baptize people, uh, and the, other, the only ones, really, that come to our church kind of having a grasp of this initial system are those that come into the church through evangelistic meetings where they are taught the prophecies and uh, the way of salvation, and it is in the Bible. And there are not all the evangelists that do this. And so they come into the church being those new generation Adventists. But the second generation Adventists, as I am and as my family is, because they had this great benefit of being born into the church, but at the same time a church that are not pressing into them that they need to go to the Bible because their salvation depends on how they understand the Bible because faith, we are saved by faith, but faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. So if you don't understand and you don't know the Word of God, you don't know God. You may sing whatever you want and you may confess whatever, whatever you want, but if you individually are not going to the Bible and understand, not one passage, another passage, but the entirety, the totality of the Bible, how God, put it in this way, is like you are going to enter into a family. The Christian church is a family. You know that when we are baptized, really baptized, we are adopted into the family, right? Well, now, when you are adopted into the family or when you are married into a family, you need to understand what? To belong to the family. The history. If you want to know who I am, what are you supposed to do? You start asking questions. And the questions are all about what? My history. My history. Now, if you need to know God, to follow God, to have faith, to be saved, you need to know God. To know God, you need to know what? His history. Where is the history? In the Bible. You know the history of God? Why God did that or the other killed these people or the other? What about the, the flood? Why the flood? Do you know these things? If you don't know them, do you know God? If you don't know God, can you have faith? If you don't have faith, can you be saved? So, this is a matter not only of unity, but it is the matter of the salvation of people that are in the church and outside the church. And today, oh, well, and then we went to yesterday to discover that the causes of these things are based on some fundamental principles. The principle of knowledge, which is where do we get our knowledge about God? I am a pastor, I preach about God, but (laughs) what do I know? Have, what do I have that you do not have? Why I am hearing preaching to you. The only thing that I, ha- that I have is what you have, which is the Bible. What is the difference between you and me? Well, there are many differences, <laughs> but what is the difference that makes me preach to you? I have studied the Bible and I have something to, sh- to share with you. But you have to be very careful not to believe what I am telling you without going to the Bible and reading. Because I am a human being. And I go to the Bible to interpret the Bible, which is what we saw yesterday. And when I interpret the Bible, I can commit errors. And so I need you so that you need the Bible together with me to help me not to commit errors. And for that, we need a congregation that in order to be united has to be passionate about God, but to know God and to know God, you have to study the Bible like crazy. And you say, okay, yeah, you are a teacher. You will tell us, okay, do it as you you want. I am washing my my hands from your blood. It's you. If you don't believe me, that's you. But I am being very serious about this. And especially the young people, because the young people, as I was young people, I believed that everything that I was told by my elders was true, actually. And I share with you that. This is the normal thing of how all of us come into life. So and are educated. So this is a message for the leaders, this is a message for the fathers, but it's a message for the pastor, for the leaders, but especially for the young. Because basically this is to say to the young, there is something wrong in our church, and we need to fix it. It's not just something wrong in our church, it's something wrong in Christianity, and we need to fix it. But all geezers like I am, we already know what the truth is. And as I told you, we are divided on that. This is I mean I and mean in this in this in this town we are divided. I know what I am telling you. I have been in this town for over forty years. So please there needs to be a revolution in the church, and that revolution is the church is the revolution of the forgotten element to know God, studying, and understanding, not memorizing, understanding how this part connects with the other and why God is telling me that and the other. In reality, the only thing that I have to do is to believe and I am going to heaven? No. That's part of one version of Adventism that we are going to study today. I went too much into the (coughs) introduction. So, today what we are going to do is to go to (coughs) a study of the way in which the evangelical world, which is the majority in this country, and by the way, this is the only country in the world where evangelicals are a majority. So this is a kind of an odd country, special country, people that supposedly believe more the Bible than others. And that's the Protestants or the Evangelicals. So what is the relationship between us and the Protestants and the Evangelicals? I warn you, as I told you, we are divided. And so one of the big divisions among ourselves is that we departed from the pillars of our faith and we are understanding salvation particularly as the evangelicals understand that. And the, and, and the understanding of the evangelicals is better, the, the understanding of the evangelicals of salvation is better than the Catholics because they don't have the meritorious works and they don't have the intercession with the priests and those things. And it is by faith and directly to God. But it is not really the, the full understanding. You need the entire perspective of the sanctuary to actually properly understand salvation uh, according to the Bible. So, this is what we are going to briefly go through the presentation, is what is the relationship that we have with the Protestant churches, the evangelical world. I w- uh, some quotations from Ellen G. White here. She says, and I am going to be very brief, just to point some aspects. Protestant churches, she says, are included in the solemn denunciation of the second angel. But the work of apostasy has not yet reached its culmination. Not until the union of the church with the world shall be fully accomplished will the fall of Babylon be complete. What is Babylon? These are the apostate churches. Churches. Where is she putting the Protestant churches? As part of Babylon. Back then, more than 100 years ago, they were part of Babylon. Why? Because they were not actually integrating the full system of truth that comes from the Bible and that the Adventists have discovered. The change that is happening in these churches is progressive, And the perfect fulfillment of Revelation 14.8, which is the second angel message, is in the future. Which means that all these churches are part of Babylon. Why are they part of Babylon? Because they have rejected the system, the truth that comes from the Bible. They have taken more truth. So, when I look at them, and I look, for instance, uh, to Luther... Wow, Luther is really one of my heroes. I just imagine him before the emperor, before the pope, and saying, hey, listen, this is so because it is in the Bible, and you can kill me, but I am not going to move. (laughs) Can you find any more bravery than that? Would you be able to do that? Would I be able to do that? Did he have faith in the Bible? I hope we would have that faith today. So I am not putting down these persons or these evangelicals. If you are evangelical and an evangelical Adventist, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean that that the system that you are working with is the correct one. And it doesn't mean that necessarily because you are in that church, you are going to be saved which at the same time means that it doesn't mean that because you are in the Seventh-day Adventist church, a member of the church, and even having all the right theology and the system that has been forgotten, that you will be saved. This is another issue. What I am dealing with here is the issue of the representation of the church of Christ as he has revealed himself to human beings through more than 6,000 years that we find that history in the Bible. Now, Ellen White L- 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 says another thing in the uh, next slide. While the Protestant world is, by her attitude, making concessions to Rome, let us arouse to comprehend the situation. So what is she saying? She is seeing the evangelical world making concessions to Rome, which means they had not come out of Rome completely. So this is the problem that they had back then, much more now than a few years in uh, 2017, the Reformation was practically over. The Lutherans and the Pope, they came together and For all practical matters, they closed the Reformation. So imagine how that is today. But then she says, later on in the same quotation, let us show people where we are in prophetic history and seek to arouse the spirit of Protestantism. So, we are not evangelicals, but we are Protestant. Because what is it to be a Protestant? Well, true Protestantism is explained in the Diet of Spires is freedom of conscience against state authority and oppression in matters of religion, and it is the affirmation of the sola tota scriptura principle, which means against everyone that tries to understand Christianity not on the basis of the Bible, but on the basis of tradition, or the Bible and tradition, or the Bible and philosophy, or the Bible and and science, or the Bible and culture. That's not what Adventism is all about. This is mixing truth and error, mixing human views and the world with God. And this is what Babylon is all about. And so we Adventists have been called to be the Protestants. We have to protest. Are we protesting against tradition these days? No. What we are doing is to say in order to reach the young generation, we need to bring the customs of the world, music and entertainment and what have you, so that they will come to the church. Why? Why? I tell you why. Because to preach the word of God with understanding to teenagers and young people is very difficult because you have to capture their attention and they are tough cookies, you know. I was there. But you see, for that, it it demands the development of capacities to communicate and to explicate. Do you think that young people, and when I am talking young people, I am not talk, talking 35. I am talking 15, I am talking 20. Those are young people, and maybe 12. They don't, they don't know how to think. They are in the best time of their mind to think and to understand. But they think, as I thought, that all the things that they were giving to me has been thought and were very clear to everyone, and I, I had no contribution to make in the discovery of truth. This is what I thought 75 years ago. But no, 74, I am not that old. (laughs) I always put myself one year older than I am, so when the birthday comes, I am not disappointed. But that's my own psychological process. Forget that. Erase it. Okay, so conclusion. Adventism is not evangelicalism, but biblical Adventism should be true Protestant. So this message is addressed to them. Are you building on the Bible only? And they know. As you theologians, I am talking to the Protestants, you cannot, you say, and you cannot do theology without tradition. And the Protestants, I'm sorry, and the Catholics, they also, they have a book like this that says, you know, you cannot Apply the Sola Scriptura Principle. Of course you cannot apply the Sola Scriptura Principle and be a Catholic. (laughs) You cannot do that. And you cannot follow the Sola Scriptura and be an evangelical. You cannot do that. But you can apply the Sola Scriptura and be a Seventh-day Adventist. That's why we are here. And we should help them to understand these issues. Evangelicalism makes sense. Roman Catholicism makes sense. I mean, if you get with the Catholics and they explain what they believe, they make sense. Evangelicals the same. They make sense. The problem is not whether they make sense or not. Babylon makes sense. The problem is this is a sense, it's a rationality, it's a logic that is not based on the Bible. It's based in a combination of things. But then, do you think that we are going to engage the young generations and others just by giving them a different doctrine? Okay. To be an Adventist, what do you do? Baptize it and keep the Sabbath. You keep the Sabbath, have you? Please, I mean, do whatever you want. At least you say that you keep the Sabbath. This is what is going to bring the unity of the church? No, you have to understand God from scratch. The closer we come to do this, is when we say that we need to know the character of God. Okay, good, good character, good, good, good. We need to know the character of God. But God is not only faithful. God is not only <laughs> uh, good. And God is not only keeping you. But God is on, also judge, And is also wrath. And if you just pick and choose and you don't follow it completely, you are going to be <laughs> surprised at the end of time. Sorry about that. You need to go and check all the fine prints reading the Bible, and not just reading the Bible. Oh, I read the Bible. What do you understand? Nothing but I read it, so I must get some blessing and points. That's just justification by merits, you know. The issue is that you have to go there and understand a better God. So, we should be true Protestants. Let's go now to what they make. I mean, what is that make... (coughs) Protestantism, Protestantism, and different from Adventism. And that is the way they interpret the macro-hermeneutical principles. (laughs) In here, those that have not been present in the prior, uh, prior presentation should go and watch the video of my presentation yesterday. Basically, this is to say that everything that we know we interpret with some assumptions. I assume something. And those assumptions dictate big, big differences in the way then you interpret the entire Bible and in the way in which you connect everything that is in the Bible. Because you have to understand that Christianity comes from reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible, then connecting everything, understanding God, and then preaching it in doctrines, which means in positions that we are preaching and sharing, because this is the proper reflection of what God is, because He has revealed itself in His own testimony of teaching and actions in the Bible. Now, In the next slide, we have what I call the best-kept secret of Protestantism. The best-kept secret of Protestantism is that they do not apply the Sola Scriptura principle. And Adventism was born to accomplish that unfinished task of the Protestant Reformation. So Protestantism, in the next slide, Uses multiple sources, not just the Bible, scripture, tradition, reason, experience, and science. And of course, when you throw these things in, science, uh, you know, for centuries, science has believed in creation. But since 1848, uh, with Darwin, uh, now everybody believes in evolution. And so if you believe that you have to understand the Bible on the basis of multiplicity of sources, and now one of the sources changed, and all of a sudden there is no creation, but there is evolution, what are they doing? They are reinterpreting the entirety of Scripture on the basis of that. And what is really the result? Not only that we are the result of a long process of evolution, but also that the Bible that we read is not revealed and spoken by God, but is the result of a long process of evolution, human evolution that actually put into writing a lot of stories that are of human origin. Now, the macro principles of Protestantism have been borrowed Clearly, from the Catholics, and the Catholics borrowed them from Greek philosophy, and in doing that, they replaced the Old Testament with Greek philosophy, and Moses, which gives the basis of the philosophical presuppositions of the Bible, was replaced by Plato and Aristotle. <coughs> uh, uh, so, a review of what the macro-hermeneutical principles are. These macro-hermeneutical principles are about God, human nature, the world, revelation and inspiration, hermeneutics and methods. Basically have to do with reality, the big issues of reality, what kind of reality is the reality that we assume when we read the Bible. Basically, how do we know that what the Bible tells us is true and not a fable. Well, we know that because it reflects reality. A fable is something that is a make-believe. It's a fiction. So is the Bible a fiction, or the Bible actually re- reveals something that is real? Creation occur or not? Is real or not? Obviously, it has to be real. But then... What kind of reality? And you say, what are you talking about? Okay, I am going to explain that to you. And it is going to be something new. I kind of introduced it at the end of our last presentation, but it is something that if I were not to explain it to you, you will never see it nor think about it. And I have to do this because this is the basic, major, foundational presupposition that was introduced from philosophy into Christianity that distorts absolutely everything, distorts the understanding of how God is real, how humans are real, and how we connect everything. And that's what I would like to explain to you today. So we are going to be talking about the principle of reality, which means the entities, which means what kind of reality is God, what kind of reality are humans, what kind of reality is the world. For instance, it is a created reality or is a reality that evolved, right? Humans, how are the humans? Are we just the body or we are the composite of a body? And another thing that lives inside of you that when you die, it keeps on ticking. This is the soul. Most Christians believe that we have those two things. And when we die, there is something that is Fernando. Fernando is still there. He's looking at you, Fernando. Ooh. When you say hey, Fernando, I am <laughs> okay. having a little fun. Otherwise, yeah, okay. But uh, this is human nature. Do we believe in that? Is biblical? No. It's not biblical. But everybody believes that. Where is it coming from? I am going to tell you. But then also God. The thing that destroys everything is how God is conceived. You can say God does not exist, and then you can say God exists. One that you say God exists, then you ask, what kind of reality is, is him because I am not seeing him? Okay, you don't see him. Why? Because he is non-material, and he has no space, and he has no time, and so you cannot see him because it is completely different to what we have. Oh, okay, now I understand. So God is just that kind of reality. Is he or not? Well, the Bible says that they saw God. Moses saw God. We are going to see God. So you see a contradiction there? It's a main contradiction. Because if God is like that, then the things that are in the Bible need to be reinterpreted and rearranged to fit that preconception. but that preconception is not in the bible so and this is kind of a domino I had the, the domino, a domino effect once that you change your understanding of God there. Then everything begins to be connected and everything falls down. It follows that. That's where that is the major, the broadest possible presupposition that that begins to roll a series of connections and systems. So basically, what is this idea? This idea is that reality is not Temporal and is not spatial. Created reality is in space and time. But God is not in space and time. That's why God God is eternal. God never passes away because what passes away is temporal. (laughs) But God is eternal. Why is eternal? Because he doesn't have time. That's the definition of eternity. You find those in the books. I read them. I believed them. I taught them. But they are wrong. Because if God is timeless, he does not have time. If he does not have time, he does not have future, present, and past. If he is not able to act in a sequence, he could not actually have the investigative judgment. Because the investigative judgment is something that happens in heaven, a place where he is supposed to be able to be there, but he cannot be there because he is not in space. But more than that, because you can explain these things in a way of mystical presence. So you, ooh, he is present there, you cannot see, but he's there, you know. That's why mysticism is all about, is the way to jump this presupposition. But more than that, can he create in six days? No. Because he does one in the first day, then in the second day, then in the third day. No. Can he save in consecutive actions? Like, for instance, call you and then be there through all the process that you have of sanctification, and then at the end, in 1844, have another action of salvation in the investigative judgment, and an action of salvation at Sinai, and an action of salvation at the cross, and an action of salvation in the second coming of Christ, and an action of salvation when we gather in heaven, like the Bible says, can God do that? And the answer is no. So they have to reinterpret the entire thing. So Adventists cannot actually be Adventists. That's why nobody believes in the, in, in the heavenly sanctuary. <laughs> For all the Christians, what heavenly sanctuary? In heaven. Now the evangelicals that are called the emergent, they, they are discussing this. What is heaven? It's a place, and you can see in videos there that these new gurus of the emergent church are discussing against the old Protestants that heaven is just God, but there is no, not a place. But (laughs) uh, there is a place. And so, basically, this issue of God being able to be with us, what do you think? You are going to go to heaven and see God or not? Yes. Yes. See God how? What is the greatest revelation of God to us now? Christ. And who was Christ? Christ. How was the greatest revelation of God given to us? By the incarnation so that Christ could come here, jump down there, and talk to you directly. That was absolutely awesome. This is the greatest revelation of God. And this is the way in which we are going to be relating to God when by his grace we go to heaven. The only difference is that he is going to be the king and he is going to be full of glory and splendor and power. But this is, well, in the prior, uh, I call this the, the forks. You see, if you believe that God is timeless and spaceless, then everything changes completely, 100%. We are going, as Adventists, developing the understanding of Christianity, Christianity in a complete different way. Is not just a little bit different. It's not the Sabbath a little bit. Are not just the, <laughs> um, the distinctives. We are just like all the others. You see, when we say that we are just like all the others, we go and we just download, cut and paste what the others have taught, and we brought it in here together with the virus, the pandemic. So this is what is exterminating us. We are bringing in the pandemia into us by importing doctrines, practices, model of worship, music, all these things belong to a system and belong to a system that comes from Greek philosophy and the basic problem of Greek philosophy is the timeless understanding of God and the timeless understanding of men that is the soul. The soul is the timeless expression of the human being that is a thing that is not material or temporal. Where those ideas come from? It comes from Satan, Eastern religions, the desire of having a hope after death. If you don't believe in the Bible, still you want to keep on living, and then Satan created all these other religions. These ideas were adopted in Greek philosophy by Parmenides, Plato, and Aristotle, and then they were introduced in Christianity by Augustine, which is the foundation of Evangelicus, Lutheran, Calvin, theology, and Aquinas, which is the foundation of the Roman Catholic Church. So those ideas come from there. I already explained timelessness. Now, warning here. These ideas are mostly transmitted. I mean, this is like the contagious thing that we have now with the pandemic. You are more likely to get the virus if you go to a stadium or something like that. Okay, if you go to a university or to a seminary, then you are more likely to get it because then you are going to read the books of the theologians and the theologians accept those presuppositions. Common people of all religions... Uh, Protestant, Catholics, and Adventists that just read the Bible, they will not get the virus. They won't, because it's not in the Bible. So you will think that, well, that does not uh, touch me. Uh, Probably not. If you just study the Bible, you are sure about that. But if you go there (coughs) and start uh, watching uh, videos and talking to people and reading books and listening to the radio you are going to get the virus one way or the other. And so the best way is to know it and to be able to, uh, uh, to kind of develop the immunity. And to develop the immunity means you have to have the right system and the right knowledge of God that is able to put all the teachings of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament together. That's why people outside of our church can be saved. (laughs) Because there are persons outside of the church that are closer to us than many in our church because they just read the Bible and they actually are following what the Bible says and living the holy life, which basically is the common denominator of Christianity, is to live the holy life. And to live the holy life is to live outside of the world, in the world. John 17, that's what Jesus was saying. Okay, now, consequences. Directly now, heaven. I already told you, heaven is not. There is not a place like heaven. And there is only God. Heaven is God. Heaven is the mind of God. History is not real. Now, please brace yourself. History is not real, but only the temporal duplication of God's eternal idea. So that means that everything that we see in the universe was already present in God. Think of a movie, think of a CD or, um, or, or, or you know a computer file that has a movie. All the things of the movie are there simultaneously in the file. Right? They are there, the entire movie, everything is there. Those are the ideas of God. And then to see the movie, you cannot see it in the file because you don't have the capabilities to see everything. Simultaneously, you can only see the movie as it occurs in a sequence, and so you need the duplication of what it is in the file in reality. What does that tell you? That tells you that you don't have freedom, that everything is in God and God just causes everything here in this earth without our freedom. We think that we are free. We have the impression that we are free. But in reality, God has decided that and makes that. And that is something that eliminates the great controversy and that is used to interpret the gospel. Wait a minute. Evangelical theology, God, I already explained this. God cannot act. The next file. The next file. Here. God cannot act in a sequence like these little pendulums here. You, uh, you know, release the pendulum, then one touches the other, touches the other, and there is something that is moving from one to the other. God cannot act in that way. Listen to Augustine. Next slide. This is a a quotation from the Confessions. I kind of (coughs) changed a little bit the the language so you will not be having trouble to understand it, which is already uh, uh, difficult to understand. But please, concentrate in this, because this is an example of how these things work. Augustine is one of the guys that understood that God is timeless. And now he is saying this. You say to me, God, you, God, say to me, for you are my God, and you speak in a loud voice in the interior ear of your servant. Well, this is my exterior ear, this is my exterior ear. What is the interior ear? Is the mystical, Is the soul, the soul. So it's kind of a prophet that God is telling you something in the soul. Oh man, to be sure I say what my scripture says. So God is saying, I say what the Bible says. However, it the Bible speaks in a temporal way, hey. so the Bible speaks in a temporal way. Nobody doubts that the Bible speaks in a temporal way, temporal way. But time does not apply to my word. Hey. Why is not applying to the world? Because God is timeless, so it does not apply to my word. For it, the word exists with me equally in eternity. In parentheses timelessness. Thus, the things which you men see through my spirit, these do I see, just as the things which you men say through my spirit, these do I say. But while you see them in time, I do not see in time. Just as when you say them in time, I do not say them in time. Why? Because it's timeless and cannot do that. The major problem is that, according to theologians, you have then to reinterpret the entire thing. If God is giving me history, what is the history? History is only illustration for kids about these transcendent, supernatural realities that we cannot understand, not experience, not know. Because you have to know this. Everything that we know and experience happens in space and time. We cannot know something that is outside of time. And, you know, this is not just my saying that. So, next, let's assume that this is heaven and this is earth, the supernatural and earth. Next slide. Can God work in heaven in a sequence like in the uh, investigative judgment or on earth like in the Old Testament? Like a sequence of events in heaven and events in earth? No. God is just there. Static. That's why yesterday I was talking about static. What does God why is God static? Because He's timeless. As timeless He cannot move. Movement and experience are negative things that make God not perfect. And so now God is able to relate with different elements in history, the succession of pendulum, but only like vertically, never horizontally. He cannot be with you. He cannot walk with you. He cannot experience things with you. He is always outside there, and you have to, in a sense, in a mystical, instantaneous encounter of spirituality, you could have a flash of eternity in your life, and that's all that you need. This is what happens, for instance, in the charismatic encounters. These days, this is supposed to happen while you are playing rock and roll in church or singing an hymn and things like that. Basically, they are there and they jump and then jump and finally they fall because I suppose that they are exhausted. But this is the power of the Spirit. And, and perhaps there is some, some supernatural power that comes. But the notion is that God has never done that. It does not appear like that in Scripture. But this is not so. Uh, next, I mean, this is not only that. Uh, there is no heaven, so basically is God up there in and no heaven, God along, and in the next, you find that the the way in which things are being explained today, we are in God, God is in us. This is panentheism, and it fits perfectly with the doctrine of evolution, so God is de- ev- developing together with the universe. So God and the universe is the same, so good news for you, you are God. Now, be it as it may, there are a lot of people that believe that. I mean, and you are free. This is America. You are free, you believe that, and it makes sense, uh, but it's not biblical. (laughs) And we are talking about the Church of God. And certainly it cannot be used as a... Presupposition. Salvation. Now salvation. Salvation exists in God from eternity. So the cause of salvation is in God. And you are already in God. Next uh, slide. You are already in God. But remember, this is the cross. And this is Christ. Christ is God, right? And the cross is an act of God, right? No. No. Please understand this. In this system, no. Why? Because God is timeless. And if God is timeless, he cannot do anything on time, on a sequence. So there are major issues for the incarnation. So what is the cross? The cross is the revelation of the love of God that could move me to be closer to God. But it is not something that God is doing. And that is done through divine predestination. Divine predestination is these things that are written in the ideas of God, and then God actually causes them to be here on earth. Remember the movie. So whatever happens in in here, your destiny, whatever happens to you, is caused by God and is defined by God. Salvation is through justification by faith. There are two ways that they explain this, and the explanation has to rule completely Meritorious works. Remember that the Reformation began against the Catholics, and the main issue was meritorious works, so they had to explain salvation without having meritorious works. So, in reality, they say that God saves you and me through predestination, which means that He determines who is going to be saved and causes who is going to be saved and who is going to be lost. Salvation is reduced to forgiveness. This is one of the traditions. Forensic justification, which means that at the cross, God has forgiven you. Praise the Lord! You are saved! Before you were born, ah, let's rock and roll! Let's celebrate! Wow! Extraordinary! We have all these problems that we were already saved! Of course, that's not true, but they are happy and they jump. And the other way is through Regeneration. That means that God comes and transforms you completely inside, but it takes your freedom out. So when you do good, you do good, but you don't do it, God does it. Because you are not free. God just makes you do that. The problem with that is that also God will make you do evil. And then they have all these discussions and so forth. The problem is not Actually, that, but that the presuppositions are wrong. So that's the uh, soul regeneration. And then finally, the articulation. uh, Move, move, move. um, Other slides. The next, the next, the next. The articulation is the cross. Let's go to the next. Here you have. Articulation means everything in the Bible ultimately is a type of figure of Christ. So the only content is Christ. And Christ is good. Christ save you. Praise God. You are going to heaven. He will protect it. He will give you riches. And on and on and on that you see happening on television. This is the principle of articulation. Is this what God has called us to do? I have a call to make today. And the call is going to be transcending very much my visible audience today. So I am not expecting you to take a decision and come here. I will make a prayer. But this is a call to the church. We are talking about the unity of the church. We are talking about the mission of the church that is based on the unity of the church. And we have here, if I am not incorrect in my perception, I could be incorrect and I will have to stand to be corrected. But please, I call all the members of this church Thirty millions. Everybody that listens to this video, from the pastors, the president of conferences, presidents of presidents of unions, divisions, general conferences, professors, college professors, seminary professors, around the world, I am talking about all of them, in all parts of the world. We need to come back to the Bible. We need to take seriously. Our theology. We need to rediscover these uh, pillars of Adventism and using them as presuppositions to discover the complete system of theology and philosophy. I call the young people, the teachers of the Sabbath school. Those that are going, I am not going to kindergarten because it will be too much of a call. But at least those that are in the academy, they are able to think, think, read the Bible. What you have been told is not even uh, 0.1% of what the truth is and probably you need to correct your teachers. Wouldn't it be nice that you will be able to correct your teachers? We need to all together come back to the sola scriptura and tota scriptura and to allow the church to put money, to put scholars and pastors to consider the foundations of our theology so that we can rediscover this complete system of theology and philosophy and just put it around the entire world and I call also to the evangelicals and I call the emerging church leaders and I call the catholic priests and teachers go to the bible and reprogram Your philosophy, develop the philosophy with the Bible, um, from the Bible. You are not doing that because it is so contradictory with the philosophy that you have taken from, from the philosophers that then you will have to reinterpret your entire Catholic faith and your entire Protestant faith. But we will be, I hope, ready here to receive you in the Adventist church. Even if you don't do that, we respect you, I respect you, and I know that you are actually sincere in what you believe. And for that, I respect you uh, with all my heart. But I challenge you to study what I am suggesting. I have studied what you think as well with respect, uh, and I have benefited. But if you want to do it with tradition and philosophy, you are on the right track. But I think that that's a possible way to go, but the Adventist church is about the Bible, the Bible only, and the entire Bible. Let's finish with a word of prayer, of consecration. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the blessings that you have given us for your presence this afternoon because you have revealed yourself throughout Uh, thousands of years, you have been patient and you have used your Holy Spirit to reveal your truths, reveal your teachings, reveal your actions in history, and among uh, uh, among all these things, you have been always uh, answering the prayer of your people. I pray for the entire world. We are looking as a world to fulfill the prayer that you elevated to the Father that your church would be one. I pray that this would be answered very soon and especially for all those that as in the Adventist church are trying to get closer to you on the basis of your revelation, your words, your actions, as they are revealed in Scripture. Bless all of us, guide us, and press us into the truth, and through our surrender to your teachings, our faith will be increased, and your church will be united, and as you have promised, you will send your Holy Spirit in the latter rain to give the power to enlighten this world with your glory so that your coming will be a reality in this world very, very soon. And at that time, we pray that you will receive us, not for our merits or by our merits, but because of the grace and the power and the mercy and the patience that you have given and revealed throughout the ages, and especially at the cross, in Jesus' name. Amen.